are listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API. Now from the Nowcast Network Studios, here's Mike. Hey, welcome to the Audio Nowcast. My name is Mike Rodriguez. And before we get going, let me introduce the guys. Over here on my right, we've got Mr... I've been here for two podcasts in a row. Martin Page! <laughs> it is me. <laughs> Next to him, we've got the one and only Bobby Osinski. Nice, Mike. Next to him, across the table, we've got Mr. Nick Peck. Hello, Mike. Hello, gentlemen. God, it's good to be back. Nick, it's good to see you, man. I know. It's good to see you, too, brother. I'm not going to rub this in, but... The last podcast we did. Don't 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 go there. It, don't go there. Was great. It was only, yeah, don't go there. It was only ten years. That's all. That's all. But I'll give it to twenty years. <laughs> and finally, over here on my left hand side, we have the one and only Iron Man of the Audio Nowcast, Mr. Rob. I haven't missed a podcast in ten years. Arbiter. <laughs> Hello, everyone. You know what? I should have given you a statue or something. Yeah. No, there's no need. That's like that's like <laughs> you already gave me a statue. I know. What was that, that for? That was like for 25 shows. Oh, was it? Okay. <laughs> We're way past that. Or that was one year, wasn't it? Yeah, that was, that was, our, that was our one year. Rob hadn't missed one in one year. Yeah. <laughs> now, as we start year 11, I know it's crazy, it's right? Crazy. This is show 175, year 11. Man, and we've got some great stuff going on. It's like. I'm totally excited about this next year on the podcast because we're going to be doing some fun stuff. Have a huge announcement. Um, our next podcast. I'm not going to announce it right now, but it's it's really huge. It'll be kind of fun. Tease that sucker. Mm. I just teased it right there. <laughs> As a matter of fact, here it is. <laughs> See, we would break for a commercial. <laughs> um, but uh, but before we get going, I got to thank a, a couple people. Um, I got to give a shout out to. Uh, one of our listeners who is uh, – he's actually written us a couple times, but his name is uh, Sebastian Thies Henriksen. Well, well done, Mike. <laughs> right now, across the table, everybody's giving me a thumbs up. <laughs> Sounded good to me. Sounded near enough. Near I, enough. Uh, he, uh, you know, he's a big fan of the show. He has some students um, over in Hamburg. He's lecturing on last Friday um, and uh, the HAW University in Hamburg. So we're going to give those guys a, a shout-out because um, he's recommending our podcast for them. Um, I hope they invite him back after that recommendation. But <laughs> um, also need to give a shout out to um, Julian over at the Pro Tools Expert um, podcast. He um, they gave he gave us a shout out on uh, on his podcast, and they were talking about different audio podcasts, and our name came up. And you know, if you do this for ten years, you're bound to show up in some of those conversations. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. But yeah, so we're, uh, we're heading up. This is show 175. A lot of really cool things. Um, before we get going, I want to take care of a little um, some, some techie business. But actually, before we even hit that, we have a couple guests with us today um, that uh, are joining us. And one of them is a really good friend of mine who I can say holds the record for knowing me the longest because I've known her for... 45 years. Wow. Something like that. Mm. Oh, wait. I mean, 25 years. <laughs> I was going to say, how is that remotely possible? <laughs> uh, but my Did good, you check that yearbook one more time? <laughs> uh, my good friend, Julie Carmona, is sitting in with us. She's a music teacher, um, has a great story, and also um, is a songwriter and was nominated last year for an Emmy. Um, on a project that she collaborated with with one of her students. So, um, but it's really cool. Music teacher has a great small little studio in Orange with an amazing 
baby grand piano. I love the piano. Well, it's technically not a baby grand. I just have to say that. Can I just say that? It's six foot three. So there you go. <laughs> it looks well, it's amazing. a grand. Grand it's piano. Small, thank you. <laughs> I'm a little bit partial about that. <laughs> you know what? There's something about playing a real piano, right? Yeah. I mean, you can have keyboards and everything, but you get on a real piano. I just love playing it. It just it sounds so awesome, but it's pretty cool. Um, and um, so Thanks, glad Mike. to get yeah. to have you with us. Good to be here. And also, we are honored to have with us today um, a gentleman who goes uh, way back with uh, Mr. Martin Page. Um, as a matter of fact, was a drummer in Martin Page's band called Q Field. Um, Q Field, he, not Field. Well, not a funk band, isn't it? We're not a bunch of farmers. <laughs> Get out the plow. <laughs> uh, you know, I know he says field. I, I, know, know. I was going to put you like a gardener. You know what I mean? Get down some hay. All right. We're techno band. You know what? I got Sebastian's name correct. All right. I'm going to mess up. Q feel. There you go. There you go. Yeah, that's better. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Mr. Uh, Trevor Thornton. And, and nice to be here. Thank you, Mike. And Trevor has a great story. He's played with some really good people, but one of the things that he did is he, uh, he filled in, uh, he played with uh, Asia, uh, which is really, really pretty cool because A, wow. Asia was pretty cool back in the day, but also having to step in. Carl Palmer. Exactly. Having yeah. to step in for Carl Palmer is just amazing. So uh, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit about that also and, uh, and visit with him. Did you take your shirt off during the drum solo? <laughs> I definitely did not. I did not play a bell over my head with my mouth either. <laughs> <laughs> Cue the video you want to see. <laughs> uh, he did rehearse it, but he never, <laughs> never got to do it. Uh, so, uh, so we're gonna we're gonna visit with him too because this another thing about about Trevor, he's actually one of the pioneers back in the day with uh, with Fairlight, and he worked with um, with Def Leppard and did a lot of stuff with Fairlight. So it'll be really interesting. And uh, we'll get his spin on uh, a fair light for fifty dollars now, but uh, that's that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole other thing. Um, I do want to take care of a couple of little text things. Number one, um, we talked on the show about VR and VR audio, and um, uh, you know, and one of the things I always complained about is not having a good way to play back VR video with with the audio at the same time. Well, last week or the week before, Facebook actually um, released. The tool set that you can do that now. They bought up a company that does um, virtual audio, and they released all the tools for free. Um, and it's really cool. They bought this company called Spatial, and the name of the tool set is uh, Facebook 360 Spatial Workstation. And it has all the tools to doing all the the mixing that you need, and also has a player that will sync with. Um, like right now, three DAWs that they recommend to work with. I actually haven't. I downloaded it. I installed it. I haven't tried it yet. But I'm working on a VR project coming up that I will try it. So I'll keep you guys posted on how that goes. But really, when I found that out, I was really excited. It'll play through Oculus, both the current version and also the two um, development um, SDK one and SDK two. So you know that's kind of cool. That that's one one thing that's slowly getting better and better is going to be mixing in VR. 
All right. I'm not going to say anything more about VR, but we are going to move on to iPads. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. (laughs) Let's do it. <laughs> but um, but that's enough tech business. Let's let's get right in. And uh, I, I just want to do some visiting. I want to talk with Julie really quick because Julie, you're a music teacher I right am. now, and um, and she has a you know a wall full of students' pictures and things like that. Um, and I wanted to bring you on because you know when we talk a lot about music and production and things like that, it all kind of comes down to knowing how to play your instruments. Right. I mean, I look at Martin and Martin, you know, being the song. Here's one that doesn't play. <laughs> <laughs> no, one of the things that one of the things about Martin that 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 is really amazing is not only are you a great songwriter, but he's an amazing bass player. I mean, and and he always have your I'm come over to your place and you always have your your books out and about the chords and all that. And and. I mean, how important is it for you to keep learning about music in your in your music writing? I, is, it, is it my turn now to talk? Yeah. Yes. Um, you know, because I'm going to throw it over. I think the hardest thing is just to always keep on inspiring yourself. You know, to keep on triggering yourself because I've been doing it for many years. So it's it, for me, it's like I have to face the fact that you really haven't learned everything yet at all, and so I use all those things just to spark me. That's what I think, particularly at my age, it's what gets you interested again. So I take it from many avenues, really. Now, Julie, and your students that you come in, you know, you you teach a lot of different levels. You teach the basic piano, but you also have composition students, correct? Right, I do. I have currently about 49 students, and about six or seven of those are composition kids and adults, young adults. And and I was thinking about the question you just asked about what I'm trying to do with them overall in terms of training them to be great musicians. It's not like – When they walk out my door and they're seniors in high school, I don't expect them, most of them, to become music majors or whatever. But I expect them to have a love for music and to be great at their craft and, more importantly, to be people of character because you can't be a great musician without being disciplined. And um, you have to know your craft. You have to know whether you're a good doctor or whether you're a good dentist or an architect. You have to know how to communicate effectively, and music helps you to do that. So... How, what's the quality of student coming? Do you find that they're eager or do you get a lot of people that, that want to do it because they want to be a, a rock star? Or? Um, I don't have any rock stars currently <laughs> or potentials of rock stars. Most of them are um, heading off to Dartmouth and Princeton and Stanford and they have parents who are doctors, dentists, lawyers all the way across the board. And so they come from highly intelligent families and, and the standard is quite high for those kids. And so, yeah. Well, I do know you run a tight ship. I mean, it's I like do. if they're not performing, then you... I do, you, yeah. Because you don't want to waste your time, right? No, um, and, I've like- to- and I've told them so. I've, I told one one student recently who was having some issues at home, and he's an only child, and I just said, look, you, there's the door. I have 10 other kids waiting for your slot. You have prime real estate on my bench on Mondays in the afternoon. There's the door if you don't want to work. And he was he bucked up. He got back to work that following week. So I yeah. feel a little edgy. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. I, I, I come by it honestly. You know, my dad was a professor at a school, and um, I grew up with that idea that um, you're a d- difficult professor, but they remember who you are, and they remember the things you teach. So, so that's kind of 
what I love to do. So let's talk a little bit about you. You were nominated for an Emmy. You you yeah. were working with a student, and and how did that all? Yeah. Come so a, um, a student named Addie Hamilton, who's now recording and doing some work on her own, and she when she first came to me, she had just some really raw talent, and I remember the first time I heard her sing "Summertime" at the piano. I thought, holy cow, this girl's going somewhere. And so we worked pretty good for a year. And make a very long story short, we recorded three songs in the studio that summer. And she um, got a little bit sidetracked with her senior year of high school. And so the studio came back to me about a year later and said, hey, can you get her to release the rights to the songs? Because we want to shop them out. She had taken a different musical direction by the time... Um, the songs wanted to get released and so she just sort of shelved the project the studio came back and said let's try to shop them to CBS or get them placed or something so sure enough it got placed and um, and we didn't think anything of it you know the paperwork was signed and off it went and that was in October of whatever year that was and um, six months later, we all got the email at the same time from CBS, and they wanted our RSVP. And so it was the Daytime Creative Arts Emmys Awards, and um, it was thrilling and life changing, truly life changing. And so now I drive around saying, "Get out of my way! I'm an Emmy nominee." <laughs> <laughs> so, so this is how I am now. <laughs> so yeah, it's really changed my life and what my standard is and what I hope to accomplish and change. You know, work on music because it's beautiful and great so see i just i think that's awesome i mean i think just the fact to know that there are teachers out there that a take the craft of making music seriously and b have the skill set to be able to break through and to have a have a nomination i mean that to me is is really amazing and and i think nowadays there's there's so much mediocrity out in music as far as just knowing you know a really limited chord set, you know. It's it's nice to hear music, and and I don't care what kind of music you have. Like uh, one of my favorite artists is BT, you know, and that guy he knows his music, man, and you can hear it in some of his. But it's it's dance stuff, you know, and and um, he's an electronic musician and does some really cool things. But he knows his his music, and it's it's really great. I mean, if you really want to stand out from the pack, yeah. you have to know your music. I know Rob. You know, he's always he's always been talking about knowing your instrument, yeah. and knowing how to play it. I think I'm a little bit of an anomaly in my music teaching world. I'm part of a music teachers group, and most of my colleagues are classical. You know, have their doctorates in piano performance, and here comes Julie, and I do pop. Oh God, help me! You know, like you know, most of my colleagues don't even know that I do pop music, pop music songwriting. Oh my God, I would be thrown out. You know, and so it's it's um I do a little bit of everything. I've played for church. I've done choral accompanying I've done all sorts of stuff and so it makes me really broad in what I expect as a standard for music excellence not you know the stuff on the radio of course you know everybody listens to it and everybody hums it in the shower I know you all do and um (laughs) or something you you know it gets into your system whether you like it or not and and that's not the standard the standard is excellent music do we call this excellent sometimes so you know I just want to jump in here really because talking about musicianship and learning your trade and I know we got Trevor with us here now but when when we started in London um, myself Brian Fairweather with QPhil the thing that made Trevor stand out to everybody to us was that he read music and could listen to what we were writing right. and we didn't read or write and Trevor would listen to all different styles of what we were writing and he would be able to map it out and uh, 
do a quick rehearsal with us and there it was and it was really quite you know it's not really thought of so much these days but in that period you know to find a drummer even in london that was going to say i can score this out don't worry about it or right. if you want to change it and so that's what in a way and i know i'm just talking about because we, we've only just really met up again after a long time that trevor was so versatile and that's one of the things that I think all the musicians around that time that went through in any capacity, they were versatile. Yeah. Trevor, I mean, did you, you gave drum clinics, right? You, did you, did I, I haven't done one for a while, but I used but to do used clinics to. for Yamaha and Zildjian. Yeah, because I, I was reading that about you that you gave. I mean, obviously, if you're going to step into Carl Palmer's you know, seat, you got to know your stuff. And, you know, I mean, did you study drums? Did you, did you have a... You... I, I was self-taught. I mean, I started playing at seven. And then at 13, I was playing gigs and stuff, and they were shuffling me in the back door at pubs, you know, as long as I wasn't anywhere near the bar. And then uh, at 13, I played the Windsor Pop Festival. I don't know if anyone remembers the band called Hawkwind. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah, Lemmy, bless his uh, yeah. cotton socks. Yeah. He's not with us any longer. But uh, we opened up for uh, Hawkwind in front of about 15,000 people at the Winds Pop Festival when I was 13 years old. Wow. wow. And that was... Uh, and, and we hit it off with those guys because their generator broke down. And uh, and one of our... Our keyboard player was uh, in the Royal Corps of Engineers and they brought <laughs> out an, a military uh, generator. And so we had the biggest generator at the festival. And so <laughs> Hawkwind went on because they used our generator and uh, I, me and Lemmy hit it off because of that. Um, and... Um, so, I, you know, I started really early and uh, playing the gigs and all the rest of it. And, um, and then I didn't uh, start to pursue, pursue lessons until I was about 16 or 17. And then I figured I needed someone to show me something a bit more about, you know, rudiments and a little right. bit, you know. Take it to so, the next level. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, guys said, oh, if you want to take this seriously, you need to, like, polish it up a little bit. So I went to a guy for a couple of years. I mean, he's an, he was, his name was Tony Pickworth. He lived in Reading. And my mum took me over there every Sunday afternoon and I'd have lessons for about a year. And, um, and then when I was about 16, I got a job as an apprentice carpenter at the Royal Aircraft Establishment in Farnborough. And uh, which basically all that meant was you swept floors and made tea. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I remember I was making like £35 a week for a 40-hour week. And this uh, band came along and said, you know, ready to tour um, American Air Force and uh, naval bases around Europe. And, uh, you know, it's like you remember your parents tell you that, uh, no, you've got to get your apprenticeship, you get your education, and right. once you've got all that sorted out, you can, you know, if you want to pursue that... Um, there I am making £35 a week and, uh, you know, that's all very nice and all that, but, uh, you know, just out of interest. So what does the gig pay? And it was, well, it starts out about £100, £120 a week. <laughs> I'll do it. And it was like, when do we leave? <laughs> <laughs> Off we go then. And, and so that was it. I, How you know, old I, were you then? Huh? How old were you I then? was uh, about 17 then, mm. yeah. Wow. So you stopped and, studying about that time and basically went yeah, on the road? Yeah, and it and, was and, like... Off we went round all these American Air Force bases, and awesome. uh, 
you know, all over Germany, all over Europe and, and playing. And, and I did that. And then we came back and we started doing like, uh, we, we call them holiday camps. We've got these pla- strange places called like mm. Butlins, Butlins, Pontins, yeah. Pontins yeah. you know, Warners. And they're like, people would go on vacation in these places. And you do what you call a summer season. And you're the resident band for the whole summer. And they have cabaret come through. Well, in order to play for these cabarets, you had to read, read their yeah. charts. Oh. And so, uh, you know, because they come in, there was no rehearsal. You'd right. just be playing and the, the, the compere would say, yeah, right, and now for so-and-so and so-and-so. And you'd open up their music and you had to be able to play whatever it was they had going on, like a show. And so I managed to get through all that. <clears throat> and then um, did you teach yourself how to how to read well charts? no no this tony pickworth gave me the idea you okay. know he, he gave me some idea and i thought i could read right and i was doing <laughs> you know like <clears throat> i you know to a certain level i mean there are guys out there who uh, can read what we call fly shit <laughs> yeah. and, and i mean you know yeah, they dip the fly in ink let it roll <laughs> and they could read it you know <laughs> Uh, but, uh, you know, it was enough to read the map, yeah. the road map, and get through the chart, you know. Jump uh, charts are scary. I mean, yeah. Well, it's, it's notation. I mean, it's rhythm, rhythm. you know. Right. I mean, there's no actual notes, but you've got your cymbals up here and your right. drum and down. And your toms and your fills, and you're trying to read all that. Yeah. And for me, when I, I was in jazz band in high school, right, and I always... I always got lost on the staff. Like, okay, what is that? Is that my Tom or is that my... Oh, yeah. I was horrible. Well, well the I'm... tricky bit is making it feel good. Making it feel like, you know, while you're reading the yeah. music, yeah. It, it's no good while you're like, okay, we're in, guys. One, two, three, mm-hmm. four. I could, I, oh, hang on, one second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it, yeah, it just didn't didn't work so yeah it's just that's where you learn well, so much you know yeah. see i mean yeah, knowing music is for a musician this is going to sound ridiculous but it's not a bad thing you know it's not a bad thing to, to learn your your tools i mean rob how'd you how'd you learn how to play piano and you're an amazing pianist so i just well, wanted thank to you. um actually i started when i was three uh because i vaguely remember this but my parents told me the story a million times but uh we didn't have a piano, but my grandmother did. And we would hear songs in the car on the way to my grandmother's house. And when we get to her house, I'd go to the piano and play the songs that we had heard in the car on the way over. Just like, you know, single note stuff. But then my parents said, okay, we should get him piano lessons. Cause... At three. Oh, my at word. Three. And how long did so you I study lessons for? at three. Because, uh, I mean, you're a... To a really good piano player. Thank and you. I, I hate to, to gush, but so when any, I started, Anybody around Stevie Wonder has got to Yeah, that's play. the thing. When we were touring, Stevie Wonder wouldn't come to the sound check. Rob would do the sound check. And Rob could play Stevie's parts. And it, you, if you closed your eyes, you couldn't tell. And I'm not just talking about playing the notes. I'm talking about playing his parts with the same feeling and all that. And, um, and yeah, he was a... And there's a lot of people who think they can play Stevie Wonder. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually got the chance to. But uh, I took formal lessons until I was about 18 or 19, I guess. Mm. And for a while it was two lessons a week because it was classical and jazz. Right. And I thought for a while I was going to go to Juilliard and be a classical pianist. And then one morning I woke up and thought, I'm going to starve if I try to do that. <laughs> I thought I was pretty good, but I figured there's like two or three guys on earth who can make a great <laughs> living doing that. And so I wasn't sure I was one of them. Nice. Nick, how about you? Your music. How long did you study? Uh, so I was, uh, you know, I was pretty musical from an early age to um, 
my dad decided he wanted to uh, get a piano, a little spinet, when I was eight. And so he and I both started taking piano lessons from the same teacher at the same time right then. And so, you know, I started my formal training um, then did it took formal lessons until I was about 12 or 13. And this is an interesting thing. You're talking about being, you know, sort of teaching pop. I stopped after five years because my piano teacher wanted to teach me what she wanted to teach me. She wasn't listening to what it was that I wanted to do. And so I got five years of learning to read music and getting all the technique under my fingers and all of that kind of stuff. And then after that, my mom bought me a book, you know, the greatest hits of Lennon and McCartney. And that is when I actually started to play music rather than just, you know, notes on a notes on a page. Um, we actually do lose students that way where, you know, a student will say, you know, well, my previous teacher wouldn't let me learn, you know, the song from Up, you know, the theme song from Up because, you know, it's not really considered serious music. And I'm like, oh, I just roll my eyes and groan because it's, you know, they're learning something that the reason they want to learn something, you know, so it's anyway. I, I will tell you, um, I used to get in so much trouble as a kid because. Um, I was always an ear player. I mean, I still am. Right. And But I, I wanted to learn classical, and I was learning classical. But with classical, you don't do anything by ear. You read everything, every note on the page. You play it exactly as the composer wrote it. But as a kid, what I used to do when my teacher would assign me a classical piece, I would go and buy the record, and I would listen to the record a bunch of times, and I'd get to be able to play it about 95% accurate. And I used to drive my teacher nuts because I was basically paraphrasing... <laughs> Beethoven and Chopin and all these, you know, amazing composers because I didn't really, I, I didn't want to take it seriously enough to actually sit and read every note, but I wanted to be able to play the stuff. Right. So I would just go by the record and then mimic it. And honestly, that was the best training for my career that I could have had because, I mean, in my entire career, maybe someone has plopped down some sheet music in front of me five, five, six times yeah. for something complicated. I mean, it's always following chord charts and just making of it. Whatever you can, but I think I think my best musical training was um, about well, my dad's been gone now seventeen years, I think. So seventeen years ago, I started playing for a church band, and um, you know, I'd play and I'd do all these fills, and the director guy would say, "You're playing too many notes." And I thought, what are you talking about? This is my training. This is what I know how to do. And he says, sit on your left hand. <laughs> and so I, I actually learned to sit on my left hand and work my right hand based around what the bass, drummer, bass and the drummer were doing. And boy, that was tough. For about a year, it was really, really tough. But man, that's how I got to be working. I've, I've had to tell many Berkeley graduates to do the same. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 Yeah. So uh, just, just to finish sure. the story very sure. briefly, um, got, you know, and I'll bet other people, I'll bet other listeners and other people around this table have had the same experience. You know, I, As I said, I started to blossom and really play music and then started to write my own music all through my teens. And it was only after that... Um, that I realized that there was so much more there that I didn't know, that was when I went back and got my formal training and got my bachelor's and my master's degrees in music and studied really seriously at that point. And it was fantastic. And, you know, so... Bobby, did you ever um, study music? Well, being Polish and being from Pennsylvania, uh, I learned on accordion. All right. (laughs) And I knew every polka that you could possibly... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. All, all of, uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, she said. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. You got through it, man. You're all right. Uh, so that went on for four or five years. Um, and then um, I found the guitar and didn't study after that. I just learned by ear, same thing. 
like everybody else does who's a guitar player. <laughs> and then I went to Berkeley eventually uh, as a student before I became a teacher there and uh, honed my, my reading skills, which still isn't very good. However, I have a good story about you talked about four or five times when people put music uh-huh. in front of you. Okay, so I was playing in a band, and uh, we had a house gig for the summer in uh, Jersey Shore uh, Bar. And the man, this is the second year in a row we were doing this, and I was playing keyboards. And the management decided they were going to get these big 50s acts in. So they get the Drifters and the Shangri-Las and you know, bands like that. Well, they come in with cheap music, and same thing. There's no rehearsal. It's just so. The first time this happened, the bass player looked at it and says, "I'm not doing this," and he leaves the stage. So now I have to be the bass player as well, <laughs> and not being used to reading, and now have to read two different things at the same time. Man, I was sweat. That's sweating. terrifying. <laughs> Every time it happened, and it happened four or five times during the summer, it was like, oh, no, do I have to do this again? Oh, God, am I going to get through it? I did all the time, <laughs> but, but I didn't read the charts the way they should have been. <laughs> yeah. That's for sure. You did the but, close enough thing. Yeah. yeah. Martin, did you, did you study bass, or did you pick up bass on your own, or did you ever I, have I'm lessons? Out of everybody here, I'm, I was a late bloomer. I started to get into music when I was about 16. Because before that, I was being, you know, I was playing professional soccer. So they, I was at the school, Southampton, and that's what everybody thought I was going to be. And then we would go, you know, when I was playing with the soccer team, we would go in clubs and I'd hear the music. And um, I was hearing a lot of Motown at that time. And it just sort of really washed, took me over. And I became a record fanatic. I just bought every, every single vinyl record. And again, like you said, Lennon and McCartney, it was, it was that era when the Beatles were breaking through. And it was absolutely fascinating and magical to me. So I would just, um, I would play the records. I mean, I just played by ear. I would just, you know, I, I learned the rudiments about how to tune, what the scales were. And then I would just, I would hear when I played to a, re- to a record, I would hear that it was beautiful harmonics. I would just go, oh, gee, they're playing this in G. And then I would do it all by ear. And then I would take it more and more serious. And my era was <clears throat> great bass players coming through, like, um, you know, Rutherford for Genesis, right. Paul McCartney. And then you'd get um, Chris Squire and John Entwistle. And, and I, I decided to learn a bit about the bass clef, and I remember listening to Quadrophenia, and I spent, like I think, a fucking year writing Quadrophenia out badly, <laughs> awfully. But I kept, and then it was Return to Forever, Yo Stanley Clark. And, yeah, oh, and I was trying to show my, my, you know, my partner, Brian, that I was writing it all out, you know, and I was playing this stuff, and I'm sure it was bad, but he was going, oh, it sounded pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you were know. transcribing it and then playing it? Trying to play it and trying to write it, because I, I went into a year of trying to understand the bass Clef. Got, you know, it was wonderful to do it, but um, particularly with someone like John Entwistle, who was, you know, very, yeah. very, very, very fluent. But out of that, um, I suddenly fell in love with the funk, you know, because to me, if you're a bass player, you suddenly go, oh my God, these, these is when bass players really came through. Bootsy Collins, right. um, James Jamerson. Yeah. And so to me, if you're a bass player, you were basically playing the funk, and because the bass went right in the front, you know, you had um, Lewis Johnson, and I, I just fell in love with that. And, but it was all from ear, all from ear and records, you know. So I never went to any music school. Hmm. And I was just a secondary school and a, and a council estate. So to me, it was records. But it was seven hours a day with records, you know. And then it's an instinctive thing. It's an instinctive yeah. thing, you know, like you were saying about, uh, a, you know, you're, you, you can't not imagine not doing it. And just 
you know, I had to go to bed with the bass propped up against as I went to sleep just to look at it because I just thought it was such a magical thing, the guitar. So I was very untrained, but it was to do with, with the ear. And then I played in a few bands right. where the keyboard players were really good and they knocked me around a bit. You know, like, you're not playing the right note. <laughs> yes, I am. I listen to the record. <laughs> no, it's a ninth you should be. And yeah, then I, yeah, start, yeah. I started to learn the scales and then from that I learned how to play chords and how to compose by because... You know, being a bass player, you'd, they, I'd say, I'm playing C here. And they're going, yeah, but it's a C9. You know, you can slide up the ninth. And I sort of take all this in. Right. And after a while, you feel like you've got enough to write a good song. And that was really where that, how it was for me. Very savage, really. <laughs> I got into music sophomore year of high school, summer camp. I'm on the piano in one of the rooms there. And these two cute girls walk in. Uh, and at that time, the only thing I knew was a little bit of Let It Be from a friend of mine who taught me. And they're sitting in the back and they're going, oh, do you play the piano? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I start playing a, I was little in the of, Beatles. a little bit of Let It Be. And, and to, to make a long story short, I faked it enough, you know, fake it till you make it, that yeah. I ended up getting like my first girlfriend from listening to me play the piano and so go. i'm thinking hey this music thing is kind of cool right so then i learned a little bit and i would i'd play off and on not anything serious i got into the technology of things i went you know i went to school and everything and, and i started getting into synths and i and actually the technology kind of turned me you're a more, drummer as well right, right. and I, I was i was a drummer and i had played drums and i played marching band and i played um you know in jazz band so i knew i knew rhythm right but as far as knowing notes and chords and things like that well Fast forward a little bit in my career, and I go from drum tech to now my keyboard tech because I understand MIDI and I'm designing all these systems. And I'm working with a big R&B band at the time named Guy, and I'm doing their keyboard techs. And I'll never forget, we were in production rehearsal for tour, and we're in this giant arena. I think we're in Baltimore, right? So it's a giant arena because we have a full production, and they want to do a line check. So the the guy, <laughs> the, uh, the monitor guy, okay, let's do a line check, right, in front of house guys. And so I'm, I'm sitting up there. And Let, I, it be. Let it be. That's exactly what happened. I'm playing. Get back to the backpack. What man? What? 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 I got to start learning some new stuff because you got to understand when you're doing line check, even though it's not full of the whole audience, there's still probably at least 75 people in there. You've got all your lighting guys and all that. And, and, you know, you're up on stage and the lights are shining on you, right? So you're on stage. The lights are going down on you. It's very true, isn't it? Sound checks. You know, you look around and you go, oh, my God, I better sing well even for the sound checks. There's a lot of roadies here, you know? Or you they all stand there and go like this band. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they're using tapes. Well, that's the whole thing because it's not only for you. If you're if you're sound checking and you're in a festival situation or something, and you and you've got other people going, it, right then and there, I knew I had to widen my keyboard arsenal. But yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you know, you got to worry when the roadies get together. Yeah, and, and you see them whispering. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh boy. Uh, Is it really? Was he really uh, the lead singer? Uh, <laughs> well, but you did know, realize that some of the 
really great musicians out there are actually the keyboard techs and sure. the, the drum yeah, techs. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and you yeah. know, there's some famous drum yeah. keyboard tech. Um, well, Christopher Cross started yeah. out that's as a right. guitar yeah. That's right. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know yeah, that. For, so, Fleet, for Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you, man, there's nothing more intimidating than having to play an instrument that you don't really play in an arena. Yeah. <laughs> but it was pretty awesome. Well, anyhow, I wanted to talk a little bit about about being a musician because, you know, as we start year 11, you know, sometimes you have to go back to basics. And, you know, if you want to further your career, I'll, I will tell you this, as a mixer and as a sound designer, all my musical knowledge that I've gained, which isn't a whole lot, but um, actually comes in handy, you know, because the, some of the best sound designers are actually some of the best musicians because they know how to approach sound and they know how to approach audio in a very musical way. And and if you understand music and if you can write and compose or even just play an instrument or two, it's only going to help you. It's only going to help you as a mixer. It's only going to help you as a sound designer. It's only going to help you in whatever you do. But I wanted to bring Julie and kind of reinforce that. And Julie, thank you for being a music teacher. And thank you for, very much. Thank you know, you supporting your kids. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break right now. When we come back, we're going to visit with Trevor. We're going to talk about his drumming. We're going to talk about Asia. We're going to talk about Fairlight, too. So we'll see you on the other side. You're listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and Westwave Audio. Have a question for the panel? Would you like to be a guest on the Audio Nowcast and live in the L.A. area? Email us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Hey, welcome back to the Audio Nowcast. And before the uh, break, we were talking about uh, being a musician and uh and also getting girls with your music. Let's face it. <laughs> hey, uh, but uh, I want to change topics really quick because I want to visit with um, with Trevor because Trevor has has a really great story. He gave us a little bit about how he started, but um, one thing is, why don't you take us after you played with uh, with uh, the group that did those tours? How long was it when you uh, hooked up with uh, Mr. Page? Because Trevor was Q-Fields like drummer. Yeah. Q-Fields drummer. Well. Um, I was um, <clears throat> living in a little town called Farnborough just outside London and uh, a guitarist I was playing with, in actual fact, he was the guitarist in the band that we did the festival with. His name was Steve Porter. His sister was dating a chap called Charlie Mullen and uh, he was a singer and, uh, I mean, if you listen to this guy, he was the greatest singer, the greatest God's gift to women and everything. Great songwriter. Everything he did was just <laughs> amazing. Yeah. So, you know. In he, his own mind. In, in his own mind. <laughs> and uh, he came and saw me play a few times. He says, I'm putting this band together. It's going to be an all-star band and you're going to be my drummer. And it's, oh, well, that's great. Very nice. You know, very flattering. So, uh, you know, I was on doing one of these holiday camp things, you know, a, a little little place down in the south of England called Hailing Island, and he just turns up one night, you know, and, like, he, he's, like, wooing us and he's taking the band out, buying everyone, you know, like, Trevor this, Trevor that, you know. And he, he said, like, I, you know, I'm setting up these rehearsals and uh, we end up getting together, playing his band, we're doing a recording, a little studio called Matrix Studios in the West End of London, 
And, uh, and then he takes me outside and he says, I want to int- introduce you to a guy. And there was Martin. And Martin and I just hit it straight off, you know. I mean, that was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, and it was the same, it was the same guy who went around um, pulling this band together. And um, I became the bass player after Derek Bramble, who Derek was, Bramble. went on to Heatwave. Um, yeah. But this Charlie Mullen, to make a long story short, is a bit of a... Uh, he was a con man. Um, and it, actually, we, last we heard about him, he'd gone to jail for... Uh, con, con, I think it was conning some politicians in England. Or out, tax millions, yeah. or something. So, but he brought, he brought all these great players together. <laughs> you know, he did a good... Oh, you know what they call it? Right. the music business. They're, they call it a manager over here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I'll let Trevor to carry on, but that's when Trevor and I uh, met and where we headed off, and I thought to myself then, I thought, God, this is a great young drummer, you know, hopefully we'll move on together. We did some stu- stuff with Charlie Mullen, we did a little tour of London, all the big gigs and everything, this guy was getting some funding from somewhere, but eventually it collapsed and then I formed Q-Feel and then I reached out to Q- Trevor. Q- Q-Feel. Q- no, no, yes. yes. Well, <laughs> not the folk band, not the folk band. No, and no. we were definitely not farmers. Even though I came from Hampshire and he came from Farnborough. Right, right, right. Q-Feel. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then we, we that's when I but that, yeah. that was what came out of that with yeah. the Charlie experiences that we met up and with Brian of course yeah my partner and, um, songwriting partner. but before we actually got to Q-Phil I mean like Martin was writing um, well you got picked up by Zomba wasn't yeah. it yeah the publishing uh, the publishing yeah. company they and they uh, took over Battery Studios Oh, well, it was it Wilson yeah. Studios, and they called them Battery Studios. That's right, yeah. And uh, the carrot at the end of it was when they, they were going to form this record company called Jive. Right. And uh, we were going to be the first band. Which we were. Well, yeah. we were. We, and that's right. It was like yeah. 001, yeah. Doctor the on first the Radio. Record, yeah. yeah. And so we were like their in-house session band. And that's so true. we'd all get together, and there was the four of us, and we played on a bunch of music that went through Jive, um, you know, all their first artists, they have come in like uh, tight, tight fit, fit yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, and so we were like the session band. Hmm. And then what happened was there was all these outside things and Zomba were managing um, uh, Mutt Lang, Mike Shipley and a, a bunch of other guys who went on to, to do great things. And so they had all these other little projects that, and it weren't just a matter of bringing us together and doing, you know, like playing on records and stuff. And one interesting project, I remember Martin calling me and saying, they're trying to get hold of you, they've got some idea, they want, want to have you go in, but it's all very hush-hush. You know, no one knows anything about it. But they've got this guy, Mutt Lang, and he's in the studio over there with Mike Shipley, and they're doing this thing, but it's all very hush-hush. And so, and yeah, you've got to be there at midnight... <laughs> and, uh, we, we, we called, called them the midnight sessions and I had no idea so I went down to the studio and it was like knock, knock three times and ask for Bill you know and like and <clears throat> went in there and it was Mutt Lang Mike Shipley and uh, Ricky um, the drummer from Def Leppard from, yeah yeah, yeah. And uh, they were in there, and it was like, so, I mean, and I didn't know who Def Leppard were. It was before their success, anyway. I right. didn't right. know who Mutt Lang was. I knew Mike Shipley, because he engineered a lot of the stuff we were doing. So that was the contact, was Mike Shipley had brought me in. And they explained this situation, that we've got a rehearsal cassette tape here of this band, Def Leppard, uh, and they've recorded all these songs, and it's just in a rehearsal studio. Now, what we'd like you to do is write out, you know, like all the drum parts, notate all the drum parts, and then we're going to go in the studio and then transfer them into a Lindrum machine, 
and see how they sound. And then <clears throat> eventually we're going to go somewhere else and transfer them into something else. And it's like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm getting paid. That's fine. It's a bit strange. You know, what's all the fuss over? And I mean, I know that um, Mutt Lang had done the Tubes album or something, or he'd done Foreigner, and the Tubes were trying to get hold of him. They had done Foreigner, yeah, he, urgent, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. And so he was in hiding or something because he had a lot of people wanted to get hold of him. So he was trying to remain very secretive. So he was hiding. Anyway, so we spent, I think it was two weeks writing out all these parts, and I remember listening to all these things, and, and especially when we transferred them to the Lynn drum machine, it all sounded very wooden, and the drums feels didn't sound very good. So then, before we went over to this other studio, which all was very mysterious, I went back into all the drum parts and changed all the fills. <laughs> I didn't like any of the drum fills. I've still got the book at home uh, with all my... Um, charts and everything with all those those drum parts in wow it. yeah they're still there and so then i was given another address <laughs> and we went over and it was in wow. the basement tiny little basement and it and this house belonged to a guy called john congress yeah and he'd been given the job he was given a prototype fairlight which i mean we all know what that is now even though you can pick them up in a bargain bin for 50 dollars <laughs> back then it's like you might as well been say, be calling it a bucket for all like it i mean like it's a fairlight okay so well it's a keyboard you know yeah. but the cool thing was you played it and you got like drum samples coming back and it was like, unlike a, a you know, like the Lynn drum machine, um, you know, where you these know, were real it was sounds. A drum, yeah, yeah, these these were real sounds, right. and you, we could record things, and it, you could play them back. And it was like, this is very cool. But we had to find a way of transferring all this notation into a form where we could program it in. So then we spent about another week doing that and putting it all in, and then we'd play them back, and it was just like drums. No symbols. And it was like, and they want to make an album like this. It's like, it's, it was the weirdest thing. And then Ricky Allen then went back in with those, and then he put live symbols in. Uh. And it was like, it was quite, it sounded like a drum roll. Yeah. Wow. You know? And then they spent the next nine months doing exactly the same thing with bass, guitars. They even put a lot of That's the vocals right. through there. Right. Like, yeah. Was this whole thing? Was this for the That's first right. Def Leppard album yeah. that yeah, came out? Pyromania. Yeah. That was the very first album ever recorded on a Fairlight. And he, everything was put through the Fairlight. That's wow. right. Wow. Yeah. And it went, I remember that when we were there at Battery, that the lead singer for Def Leppard was sort of stood outside and they said that he's been sent out, you know, Matt Lang had sent him out because he hadn't sung a certain, yeah! in tune because they had to scream all the time in Def Leppard and he used to bring him in every day to get this no and if he didn't get it right he said go home practice it come back tomorrow <laughs> and this went on and on and on but that's they hated working like that but the whole first record was made through the Fairlight wow it's and a great a record but it sounds yeah. like crap yeah really and it was and it, and well that's why yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's amazing that's an amazing story about that yeah. particular album because it mm. it was huge that's well, Another sort of thing was when, when Trevor was working on the Fairlight. Then Qfield made their record, but our two hits, "Dancing in Heaven" and "Heroes Never Die," we wanted lime drums on. And the record company was going, "Well, you know, use the Fairlight. It's oh. it's he's just two guys, you know." And we fought and we fought. And Trevor played on "Dancing in Heaven," you know, um, which is a, you know, everybody to this day listens to it and thinks it's a programmed drum. That's how well he played it. And also on the second single, but we had to fight the record company so hard to say we right. really 
want players it, because the Fairlight was beginning to take over yeah. everything. You know, Akai samplers, everything was taken over. Well, you know? it got to a silly stage. I have a crazy story that it got to a stage where when we were in there like five days a week as a band re- recording and doing all these tracks and then the Lynn came out and then the emulator and all these like very clever drum machines. Right. And so, you know, and it was like, well, you don't have to pay a drummer anymore. But the Musicians Union didn't like that. So they, they, they insisted that even though you're not using a drummer, you can't put him out of work. So he has to be in that session. That's right. <laughs> I forgot so that. I, forgot I got that. booked for sessions. <laughs> and all, it's right. Are we ready? I turned the drum machine on, and then at the end it was like, okay, I turned it off. That, and I got a session fee for it. I mean, how crazy was that? And I thought, this is the easiest gig I've ever done. You, know. you say crazy, yeah. I say awesome. Yeah. And then you, you imagine all the jokes, you know, you stop it through halfway through. I didn't like the feel of that. It didn't feel very good. Yeah, right. Let's start again. that again, yeah. Oh, that's amazing. Well, so you're doing this work with, with Fairlight, you're doing all this drum stuff, all this cloak and dagger secret stuff now now um after that kind of kind of peaked and hit right. there was a little a lull and then you hook up with asia how does how that, does that, that happen that was a little while down i mean like martin then through um q phil and through uh, zombra and all that right. then left to go to america and so uh, the band so, in a way fragmented and, yeah, I, and yeah. I became a writer we, we really. stayed in yeah. touch though we yeah. kept in touch but uh, then, so that whole thing, because of the drum machine and all that, that kind of, you know, disappeared. And then what I did was I um, I started doing some shows and I did a show, like West End shows, and through Dick Scarf, who was one of the guitarists in that band we'd mentioned, the Charlie Mullen band. He was doing guitar work in these bands and he got me a gig in this West End show and I went down and tried out for it and the drummer was, was a guy called Bobby Orr who at the time was a very famous drum teacher. And uh, I said, now I thought I could read, you know, but I was, you know, getting by, you know, and then he put a part out for me and it was, it was like... <laughs> you, you want me to read that? <laughs> you know, and there was all these stops and starts, you know, that a conductor was, you know. And so he said, you can do this one section of the part, you know. And I'm going through it thinking, you know, and, oh, this is really hard to play. His, oh, you know. And so and it was like, so how would I do? He said, I know a guy who's going to help you a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I did that well. I did that well. And he gave me the name of a guy called Max Abrahams who taught him. And uh, he said, this guy, he used to teach in Chelsea in London, but now he's retired, and I don't know where he is, but if you can find this guy and convince him to teach you, he is the man. So I eventually traced him down to a little bedsit in Eastbourne, east um, in the south of England. And so I got a gig playing tea dances along the front to little old ladies doing waltzes, quick steps. That ain't Asia, is it? Oh, no, no, no. We're getting to Asia. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is kind of an important... It, it, it links to it in quite a neat way. And so I went, I went to this guy, and everyone's saying, this guy is... The, I mean, he's taught everybody. So I eventually go there, call him on the phone, can I come over and have a meeting with you? Knock, knock, knock. And it's like... Well, apparently you're supposed to be the best teacher there is. You know, like he said, all right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Although that's not my best Scottish accent. He was Scottish, actually. He was a pipe band drum. And he brought me in and he sat me down in his living room. He opened up these doors and there were binders after binders with years and years and years on them. He said, pick one of 
those and pull it down, put it on the table. So I just randomly picked this one. And it was full of paper and names and dates. And it was a who's who of drummers. I mean, everybody, even like seven or eight of the Miss Welds who had this inkling to want to play drums had gone to him because he was the man, you know. And uh, he said, yeah, and Carl Palmer was in there. He taught wow. Carl Palmer. Wow. Wow. He also taught Stuart Copeland, and that's a, that's a story for another day, a very funny story about that. But he taught Carl Palmer. And, I mean, I'm thinking, you know, Simon Phillips, Carl Palmer, he, he, you know, a lot of great American drummers would go over and see him too. So I begged this guy to teach me. And so he said, all right, okay. He said, now I'm going to give you a lesson. Now, if you don't have this down by next week, don't come back because you're wasting your time, you're wasting my time. So you, if you come back next week and you've got it sorted out, we'll carry on, you know. All right, so I went back next week, and boom, 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 you know. He said, that's pretty good, that's pretty good. All right, we keep moved on. I ended up going to him three times a week for three years. Wow. Yeah. I, I just sucked him dry. And then the, in the end of the last year, I went to him and he sat me down again. He said, are you just going to come to me forever? <laughs> Is, I mean, they, they, you're not going to go out and do it. And I said, well, there's so much to He said, no, no, there isn't. It's time to go and do it. Wow. Yeah. He said, like, I'm not going to teach you another thing because you've been through my book, you've been through all these music minus one charts, and now I could read properly you know pretty much anything and so i went back up to london and he said now the strange thing now forget it all and yeah. go and make music yeah forget everything you've learned go make music so i go up to london and i start doing auditions and i get connected with this place called the music connection who start hooking me up and doing sessions and stuff and then one day they say we've got a very special band they're looking for a drummer and uh, you know they've on they're only seeing a few people and uh, but and again it was all like kept under wraps you know because they didn't know if Carl Palmer was going to do it or not so they were just trying a few people out right because Emerson Lake and Palmer had just released an album at the same time right. as Asia Aqua which was 92 and so Carl Palmer's on the fence about which band to go with and so I went up to the studio and I walked in and Steve Howe's there Jeff Downs is there uh, John Wetton's there, and also um, John John Payne is there, and um, and it was like this is Asia. I mean, <laughs> this is I mean like their 1982 album here at the moment. All, I mean, I loved that album, and what I also did was sat and practice it upside down, inside out, forwards, backwards. Before you met them, oh, oh yeah, I knew this album inside out. Yeah. Wow, and so. They, we just sat down and, we, you know, they started out with, um, oh, only time will tell, um, Wildest Dreams, right. which has a, a bunch of odd time bars. Yeah. In it. You yeah. know, it's like, yeah. let's just cut to the chase, because if you can't do this, we're wasting on you. So we just slammed through it, and Harry Caldwell, their, uh, their manager's just on the couch. <laughs> yes! oh, you know. And, and it, was, it was great. So anyway, that afternoon I got the call saying, you know, look, if Carl chooses not to do this, you're the man. You've got this gig. And then about a week later, it's like, okay, this is what we're doing. Carl Palmer went on the road with Emerson, Lake and Palmer and was doing that gig while at the same time picking up 50% of the merchandising <laughs> of the Asia tour. That man was an incredible um, businessman. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's it. I ended up to, I did uh, 14 months straight on the road. Wow. Asia. Yeah, yeah. And it was like every night we went out, 
it was like a dream come true. I'm playing these songs with the band. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. And it was yeah, it was a blast. Did you yeah. feel any pressure? Like when you when you was there a, ever a moment of self realization when you're like, I'm filling in for Carl Palmer in Asia. I mean, was there ever a time where that just seemed overwhelming, or was that like, nah, it was there was nothing to it. Well, not really. No. I mean, because it, it, it was justified in as much that I was taught by the guy who taught him. Oh, it's who, true. Who basically, basically, you've got it all. You know, you, I mean, just go and do it. And I, I, you know, I knew all these songs backwards and everything else they wrote and that we did. Yeah. So I knew all their catalogue and could play it with no problem. So I felt very confident, but. The, the thing you said when I first came in and we met right. about the shoes, that was the most common thing. You must have big feet to fill those <laughs> shoes. Ever, um, especially the Germans. I bet. I yeah, bet. yeah. So uh, it, it, that was what I heard a lot of the time. But uh, it was no problem. Yeah, we had a lot of fun. Did you, how were the fans? Were they ever like, Disappointed. I mean, you know that Carl Palmer wasn't there, and that you were there. Or, I mean, did you ever feel any negative? Well, any I mean, when, when you first go out, you you can imagine. I mean, I, and I'd be the same way. Right. It's like going and seeing some great band, and it's like, hang on a minute, you know, where's the drummer? <laughs> I mean, and uh, but and then you start playing, and everyone just realizes it sounds great. You know, I mean, nine times out of ten, people went to see Steve Howe anyway. Right. We called them the Train Spotters. Because they had big rim glasses and long neck <laughs> jumpers, and they'd all congregate around Steve Howe. <laughs> and I mean, you know, and, and Jeff Downs as well. And John Wetton didn't end up doing anything because he went back into rehab. Uh, bless his cotton socks. Right. Yeah, because he was yeah n- not doing so well. And so we went out with John Payne, who, who now has the other yeah Asia. Yeah, Asia's. He, he actually he got the rights to the name, so you've got the original line out now well right. I don't know about now but then you had John Payne's right. Asia you, you know. had two Asias at one time going yeah. out very if, strange I looked up Asia if you look him up on I was when I was in, in high school I, I loved Heat of the Moment that whole first album oh, yeah. actually the first yeah. couple albums were pretty good but if you look at the the on Wikipedia you look at their page you literally have to have a chart. They have a chart there that shows all the different yeah, people different that, that have played yeah. and what time they had played and who. It, it's crazy. And the one time when you have John Payne going out, you know, John Payne in Asia, and then you have the original Asia. Right, and it, it's, right, right. It's just crazy. T- Trevor, did you do the Live at the Budokan broadcast with Asia? No, no, Carl did that. Yeah. Okay. I, that would have been a nice one to do. but yeah. uh, Well, I, the reason why I ask is I understand it wasn't actually at the, at the Budokan that they faked it. Oh, no, and, I didn't and they know. And they faked the audience as well. They, they, <laughs> uh, it, it was a broadcast. <laughs> Apparently there, there was some travel arrangement that maybe they couldn't get visas or something. They couldn't get in. So what they did is they, they just had a place in London that they did, and they took a Japanese audience and they just cut it in. Do <laughs> <laughs> you know what? That wouldn't surprise me at all. I don't know, but it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah. You just destroyed my childhood. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, there is no Budokan? <laughs> the, the way that whole thing ended, I mean, we, we came off the road and there was talk about doing the next album. I'd already done... Um, Vox Humana, which was Jeff Downs' solo album. Right. And he got me to do that. I've got got to share this one story about Steve Howe. It is so funny. Uh, He brought Steve Howe in to play the guitars on it, acoustic guitars. And um, Steve Howe would play, and then he'd say, right, now we want a track of the room. Let's just get the room. 
And like everyone's like looking at one another, thinking, what, "What do you mean?" He said, "We want the ambience. We've got my track now. We want the ambience of the room." And it, what you mean, like just roll tape? Yeah, yeah. Now, now roll tape and get the room. And the minute's like, is he real? Is he serious? I mean, yeah. And he was very straight, very quirky. And so he made the engineer. Oh yeah, we go get the room. Okay, so room. Not at the same time as he played the guitar. Oh no, right? no, no. He did his. And it's just he, like tone, like you would yeah, do yeah, if you were like doing. Yeah. 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 And the crazy thing is, is then you put Dolby B on it. So you yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's try another room. Let's try another room. We, we, the, the jokes for the mix. All right, now we're going to mix it. Oh, we need a bit more room. <laughs> so there, there was talk about doing the next album, and they were having a few financial difficulties, mainly because Steve Howe was costing them a lot of money, and he insisted being paid every week in cash. So they had a little cash flow problem, and Carl Palmer was taking 50% of their merchandising. And um, so... You know, I was warned that you might want to talk about getting a little advance on, you know, like... And so I mentioned it once about, well, we're going to in the studio, we're doing the next album, we'd rehearse some songs and all the rest of it. And then I got a word through the grapevine that they were in the studio with Gary Husband, the, the drummer. And it was like recording the next album. Or, or they'd, like, been round and they were, like, uh, interviewing some... Um, uh, producers and uh, they went and saw Gary Stevens, the Go West producer. And uh, I'd done a lot of work, jingles and stuff with Gary. <laughs> and um, so they they went in and they met with Gary. And uh, he had his they, own drummer idea. Did well, he? and it was like we're going to use um, um, Gary Husband, you know. And uh, and then he said, "So uh, you've been using Trevor on the road, haven't you?" Oh yeah, yeah, but he's. Um, He's asking for money. Well, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> they, they made up some crap story about, you know, his time's a bit iffy and he's not so good in the studio. And he said, well, you did your album, didn't you, Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> how, how did you do on that one, you know? Oh, yeah, but it was a... And he said, it's funny, you know, I use Trevor a lot in the studio. Sounds great to me. <laughs> I mean, you know, so... And it was like, well, you know, we're having a few conflicts and they had to come up with some... I, and so they went in the studio and they used Gary Husband, you know, and that's how I found... You can imagine I, a band like that, that, the politics must be oh, horrendous, man. you know, yeah, always yeah, Did Gary get yeah. paid? Huh? Did Gary get paid? <laughs> oh, well, that I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we might have lucked out, actually. <laughs> right, right. So, and that, that was where our ways parted, you know, with uh, Asia, and I was another one of their... You know, <laughs> one of the army. Yeah, right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I tell you, though, I mean, to sit in on that, obviously you're a heck of a player, you know, because that, you know, that that's just not easy stuff, and they have to be tightened on the ball. But more importantly... Like you said, when you sit down amongst the Steve Howes and the Jeff Downs and the John, I mean that you cannot get more of a pressure-filled. Well, you think about Steve Howe anyway, because all all those years with Bruford and everything, he's always going to be looking over his shoulder for a drummer that can do that exactly, especially timing-wise, man. If and getting getting the feel and and all that. But but, but playing with with, uh, Carl Palmer, his time is not. uh, I mean, he's a great player. We 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 played with a click. And we got backing tracks so that they had all those um, vocals yeah. uh, on the live songs. And, like, Jeff Downs would trigger all those things. And when they were lifting the samples off, 
the samples at the beginning of the song were much slower than the middle of the song. Yeah. They had real trouble getting, yeah, you know, because yeah. the whole thing sped up. Yeah, just you know, when you watch the, him, he does that. Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah. By the time you got to the first chorus, you'd gone up 5 BPM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it just took off. You know? yeah, yeah. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> and and, and Steve, Steve Howe, when we did um, Heat at the Moment, ding da 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 you know, and it's got that cowbell right, yeah, yeah, and right. he's chopping the guitar at the time over there and, and it's like, ding-ga, 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 you know. And uh, so one night after the gig, you know, I walk over to Steve. Everyone was kind of a little bit, where's Steve out? I, I just was, Steve, you know. Oi, so listen, when I play my cowbell... Aren't you supposed to be in time? <laughs> <laughs> and like, that's why. That's why you didn't do the next album, mate. <laughs> right, 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 right. Right. You're one of the few people who can actually say more cowbell, <laughs> and it be appropriate. <laughs> and, and he said, "Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the guitar goes out." I said, "Then why is it out?" Or every night, every night after after that, when when we got to that song and I we started playing, he'd walk over, go, and he'd look. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Here, here, here he comes. Yeah. Here it comes. That's awesome. <laughs> I, got, I gotta Jolly. tell you a quick Steve Howe story. And this isn't nice because I utterly love Steve Howe. I'm the biggest Yes fan there is. Right. I so re- is Rob. <laughs> Let's go see the Yes Rush double feature. Um, hey, so I'm right re- there with you. I remember seeing Steve Howe was going to, he, he was playing a solo tour. Um, you know, some smaller venues, and I saw him about 10 years ago at the Great American Music Hall in San Francisco, and he started out playing tons and tons of acoustic solo guitar, and it was absolutely fantastic. And then halfway through, and it was just him, it was a solo performance, halfway through the show, he started singing. And he tried to sing Tales from Topographic Oceans. Whoa. Oh, my he God. He tried to sing the John Anderson stuff while playing it. And I was sitting there looking. And then he ended with, It was the head of the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, oh, my God. I've heard you sing backups for all those years. And wow, yes, yeah, stay Wow. That's... Sorry. Wow. Look. <laughs> What an what an amazing adventure! What an amazing! What are you? We're actually kind of running out of time, but but what are you? What are you doing now? I mean, obviously, that all those years ago, and are you still playing? Are you play, Are you? Active? I, I'm playing. Um, one of the things I always loved doing the most was recording, and I love the idea of making something which is just drums, not pro. It, it can be programmed right. along with drumming, but the idea of making something feel really good. I just love the idea going back in and that's something, you know, working with producers or, you know, writers, when when you chart it out and you go back and listen to the part and they say, you know, that could be like, you know, and they, they come up with the tiniest little minute changes, but because you're not got to remember it, you just put it on the part, go back in and just make that thing work and make it sound awesome. I love recording. So I'm trying at the moment to put my own kind of studio together. Because oh. I know a lot of the guys nowadays, they, they've got home studios and everything's done on the internet. Right. I know John Robinson, you know, most of what he does, he just comes down in the morning, has a cup of tea, goes in the studio, right, like downloads his and files, yeah. coffee, and he does a day's worth of studios. Yeah. And he's doing sessions all over the world. From his, you know, like his studio. His drums are always set up. Oh, and it's tweaked out. It's beautiful. And most of the guys are doing that kind of thing now. So I want to get to that point. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. I'm uh, live-wise, I'm actually playing with a band called Live From Earth, 
which is a Pat Benatar tribute band. And, <laughs> and, and I, I, I agreed to do it because the singer is amazing. I mean, wow. yeah, and it's worth doing it because she is so... She looks like Pat Benatar, she sounds like Benatar, which is also funny because several years ago, after the Asia gig, um, Steve Howe's guitar tech started working for Neil... Um, He'll draw them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, they were looking for a drummer, and so he he brought me in to do the Pat Benatar gig. But they ended up using Ray Brinker, who was a really good friend. But we had, I mean, one afternoon over at SIR, we had a great time jamming. But it was just fun to sort of jam with those guys. But I didn't do the gig. But it's ironic now that I've ended up actually playing in a tribute (laughs) band. (laughs) Wow. That's what I'm doing At least it's not a tribute for Asia band. (laughs) I don't think I can actually bring myself to do that. The yeah. third, the third <laughs> Asia band. Yeah, right. right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, hey, and, and also, I'm going to nab Trevor yeah. for some of my new songs as well. We've been getting together over that, so it's a really good, good time. That's that's yeah. pretty awesome. So, did, did you just move to L- uh, Los Angeles, or have no? You I've been before? here for 20 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, which is quite funny because when I first moved here, all my work was still back in Europe. You know, and I was touring. I actually ended up doing a tour, a world tour with Asia, not Asia, uh, Saxon. Mm, And Yeah, yeah, so I I did a tour with them. And I kept getting calls back to do stuff in Europe. So eventually I just had to say, no, I've moved to L.A. I've got to, like, make it happen here in L.A. So maybe maybe you're the guy that, you're the guy now that's doing lessons three times a week for up-and-coming drummers. Well, that's one of the things I tell my students. is like, if you haven't got it down, don't come back. You know, or, you know, we'll (laughs) do once every other week, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, you know what? There's something to be said with a really stern you know, disciplined music teacher. Well, I just got to throw it in that when, when, I, when I met Trevor and that um, I was recording in London, but Trevor was still living in Farnborough, we'd meet him in a pub and just, you know, play him the song on our headphones and he'd write it all down in the pub. And, and, and then, when we, as Trevor just said, when we went in the studio, if we did a run-through and changed it, he would just change it on the spot. And that's what was so great about it. Again, getting down to musicians that... Brian and myself are just pure writers, but whenever you use musicians that... They write it down, but when they play, they can still advance it and change it into the way at the moment. And so that's, it's a rare thing when you find musicians that can do that. Yeah. You know what, Martin, on that, you brought the whole podcast for full circle. Oh. That, that was Rather awesome. emotional, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, listen, we have to, we have to wrap up. But uh, thank you so much, Trevor. That's, that's awesome, My pleasure. Man. Thank you. And we're going to have you, you come back on and visit with us as you start some of these uh, ventures that you're doing. And um, that, that was great. That was really fun. And Julie. Thank yeah. you for having me on. It was great. Thank you, Julie. And, um, you know, if your students listen to this, listen to Julie because she will help you out and uh, <laughs> make you better. Um, but uh, before we go, um, if you have any comments or questions, you can reach us at audio at nowcastnetwork.com. That's audio at nowcastnetwork.com. Really quick, um, Rob, you working on anything that you can talk about? Um, I know you just flew in and you're going to fly out again. I flew in a few hours ago and I'm leaving in a few hours. And boy, are your arms tired. <laughs> <laughs> and I've been sitting here yawning. The stories are awesome, but I was up at 3 a.m. Uh, to be able to get here tonight, so I'm a little toasty. Where were you, where'd you fly in from? Where was it today? Philadelphia. Wow. That's how bad it is. Where was I? I was in yeah. Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> used to be easier when you could wake up in a hotel and look for a phone book. Lisa would tell you what city yeah. you're in. Now there's no more phone books. You have to check your phone for the weather. Um, the main thing I'm working on now that's musical, I'm working on a lot of different things, but the main thing 
is I'm doing another portable writing setup uh, that needs to be non-visual, oddly enough. Oh. It's about the 10th generation of these that I've done. Oh, I wonder for who. Yeah, It's hard to imagine. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to figure out the way to do it. You know, virtual instruments have gotten so incredibly visual right. that uh, it's really, really, really tricky. A lot harder than it used to be. So, You know what? What about... Don't mean to throw my two cents in, but if you get like Keylab from Arturia, where you where they use the presets out of all their different synths and stuff like that, that might be an easy way to navigate around those. Try things. it with your eyes closed sometime. Not as There's easy no as you would think. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Rob. So in, in the past, with, without uh, uh, virtual keyboards, it was easier for Stevie to get around that. With your well, designs. what I would always do is I would always write a non-visual layer that would basically sit and watch the screen for him, and it would tell based on pixels changing colors, mm. it sort of knew what was going on, and, and that's how it knew what was going on. But now, it's just it's gotten really complicated. The graphics are so complicated, yeah. and none of the virtual instruments use standard programming techniques, so there's no simple way to hook to them. Hmm. So that's a challenge. Is there any way to use something like Lemur on an iPad, something where he could have a standardized thing, and then the widgets within Lemur, you know, then map to whatever? The problem is, that's not the hard part. The hard part is, try using Omnisphere with your eyes closed sometime. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, and try not just calling up sounds, because that's not enough. Yeah. You want to be able to get in and edit sounds? Yeah. Try to edit the LFO. I mean, like I said, this is about the 10th generation wow. that we've done over 30 years. Wow. So uh, it was hard in the beginning for other reasons, and now it's hard just because the computers are powerful enough and the sounds are amazing. It's just really hard to make them non-visual. Wow. And for a while, things like the Muse Receptor right. were good because that was sort of a sure. single easy interface. But yeah. I'm actually open to ideas. Anybody out there who thinks I might have missed something, something weird they've heard of that might be cool, let me know. Send an email. The, like I said, the only thing I know is the, the trend is some of these plugins will combine all your plugins to mega um, presets. So like on, like on my Akai, it comes with its own software plugin, and then it will read all the VST sense that I have, and I can just stay in that one and just go up and down the presets that way. You, can't, you is, can't edit them, though. It's well, all presets. Edit them and also think about non-visually. Yeah, how do you know which To be able to say, well, to say, I want to hear 50 electric basses. Yeah, no, now I want to hear funk basses. Now I want to hear harpsichord. Now I want to hear choir. Oh. And be able to find them quickly. It's a challenge. Why doesn't he just get a bunch of musicians just to follow him around? Well, he does that. Too. <laughs> he does that too. He no, does sure. that too. He does that too. All right. Well, well, keep us posted. That sounds really interesting. I will. It's an ongoing profit. And Trevor, we know you're, you're trying to get your studio up and going, and uh, yeah, keep us posted on that. And if you need any help, we're here to help you, man. Thank so you very much. We definitely can help you with that. Nick, how about you? Are you working on anything you can talk about? Oh yeah, I've got a couple of things. This will be a teaser for a future Audio Nowcast segment. Oh. I have now officially and 100% divested tools. Oh. Wow. We will have to talk about it later. It is Cubase and Reaper. And Reaper. Wow. So it's a big thing. It was pretty awesome getting rid of all AAX plugins and replacing them all with VST. Wow. So you, wow. you never got that email that your subscription plan is up for renewal. In fact, please. I did get that email, and that was the final nail in that coffin. But we can save that for later. Yes, we will. Um, 
The other thing that I'm bouncing around with, you will appreciate this. I finally, after all of these years, bought myself a Hofner bass. Oh, good man. And, good oh, man. my God. Yeah, best yeah. playing, best feeling yeah. bass ever. I put the Beatles, you know, Beatles yeah. strings on them, the right tension, the whole thing. And, and the sound. Enjoy. Nothing it sounds, sounds like it. It's incredible, yeah. and it plays beautifully. It's beautiful because yeah. you play, and it's so small. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah. playing a guitar. Light. It's yeah, just yeah, great. Yeah. It's yeah. just great. That's great. So. Julie, what about you? I know your your writing setup is. Uh, it's off and running. It's, it's the off first and running. Time, yeah, I have my little keyboard. It's actually your keyboard in my office now. It's not really little. It's yeah, a, it's not a little keyboard. Eight keys weighted. Yeah, and I'm uh, working on rec- recording some things this year. So it's been a while since I've been in the studio. I'm heading back in. I hope so. she works in uh, Sibelius. Yeah. Nice. Uh, I love Sibelius. Yeah. yeah. Do you know about yeah. uh, the new the new notation software that came from the same people? Nope. Steinberg. Do you know about? That? Okay. It's uh, what is it called? De Develo De Vicello. It's a very strange name, but the fellows who had originally invented Sibelius, um, once Avid purchased them, they got rid of them. And then they went and Yamaha and Steinberg snapped them up. And so they've been working on the Sibelius killer for the last couple of years. And they just finally announced it. I have about 50 sound files on my phone, you know, different ideas and such things. And so I'm I'm weeding them out this weekend. So I'm hoping to get to work next week. As a songwriter, I know how hard that is. (laughs) You know, going back and going, is this good, is it not? And going through all this stuff and keeping your energy up for it. Right, right. Bobby O, how about you? Oh, a bunch of new books. Um, Music 4.1 just came out. That's the fourth edition now. Wow. It's the fifth. Wow. Um, I kind of lost track. Uh, the second edition of the Music in- the uh, music Producer's Handbook came out. And the second edition of the Drum Recording Handbook is about to come out. Plus, tomorrow there's another book that's outside the industry that's going live. I've been doing that, and I'm also in pre-production on an album that I'm producing. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's good. Cool. Pagey boy. Uh, well, I'm auditioning for Asia 9. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's funny about that. They're a good band. They're a good band. It was a kid. But I've got to meet them in a special place late at night, and I don't know yet where the place is. <laughs> well, no, I'm doing my same thing, doing my writing, actually, with Trevor around now. I'm preparing some songs that hopefully Trevor and Jimmy Copley, the yeah. drummer from England who's recovering, I'm hopefully going to do some live stuff with some drummers, some yeah. of this. But I'm putting my, the ballad album out in yeah. September, so that's what I'm getting done now. But then around the edges, you know, preparing some songs, hopefully, to finish them with some drummers. And just to tease the ballad album, that thing is amazing. Thank that's you, That's incredible. And actually, your new stuff is amazing, too. So. I appreciate that. A lot of good stuff coming from Mr. Pagey Boy. Thank you. So that's cool. And you're What right. are you up to? Um, <laughs> just staying healthy. <laughs> I've got, I got to tell everybody that, you know, Mike got pulled into the hospital every, always on a Wednesday, you know. So all he, he leave me a, a text saying, if I can just get past this Wednesday and not be in there, because Wednesday turned into like hospital day, you know. So when he got to Thursday, he was like, great, he's not in. They haven't pulled him in. <laughs> no, I've got a, I've got a couple things uh, brewing. I'm working on a couple projects. The summer is going to be busy. It's going to be fun, um, and uh, we have a big announcement on our next podcast that'll be uh, pretty cool. So uh, yeah, there's some fun stuff happening. Um, doing a VR project that I'll keep everybody posted on as I move forward. And um, looks like I'm setting up a new VR mixing rig that'll be portable. It'll be run on a PC laptop because I need to move it around, but I'll be able to do um, 
some stuff with it that I've wanted to do for a while. So we'll see. The thing about VR audio, and I know I always talk about it, but it's like one of the few places where it's literally like the Wild West. You yeah. can kind of create yeah. your own, you know, your own way to work, and there's nobody has any hard rules. They have suggestions, but nothing is as hard. It's really kind of fun because there's there's not a right way to do it. So you can kind of you know create your own ways. And so I did one project one way. I'm going to do another project totally different way and just see what happens. So it's pretty fun. Reminds me of the early days of surround sound yeah. for music where there were no tools. Nobody really knew how to do it, yeah. but uh, we all kind of figured it out. Yeah, I mean, exp- even simple things like if, you know, I mixed a project that had voiceover. Well, do you want voice of God on top of your head or do you want voice of God around you? Or do you even need to have the voice of God? Why can't I, why can't the narrator be just, you know, directional just like everything else? I mean, there's no rules, you know, it did, it did. Not only visually, but you know, with audio too. So it's really kind of fun. So we'll keep uh, we'll keep you posted. And all in all, I don't even know how successful this is going to be. So it's it's the whole. I mean, it's like we have the ability, and maybe it's going to take off. But there's also a strong contingency of people that are like, mm, "This ain't going to work." It's going to be so. huge. <laughs> <laughs> it, it has God in it. So. <laughs> <laughs> so so we'll see what happens. But um, well, hey, listen, I want to thank uh, both you guys for, for coming. Julia, thank you so much for joining us. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us. Give one more round of yeah, applause. Thank you. Thank you. And also, I got to give a shout out to uh, Christy McConville. She is back. She was my intern for the last couple summers, and she is recording the show and engineering. Thank you, Christy. Yeah, Christy. Yeah. All right. Well, from myself and everybody here, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Listening to the Audio Nowcast, sponsored by API and West Wave Audio. The Audio Nowcast is hosted by Mike Rodriguez and uses Aphex's 230 Master Channel Voice Processor. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. <laughs>